Before we get started this week, something that you've uh, become very accustomed to with this podcast, pronunciation disclaimer. Pronunciation disclaimer. So I tried to do some research as to how these names should be pronounced according to Robin McKinley, the author of the book, which we haven't even announced yet, but you saw it in the episode description. Anyway, she doesn't have a consensus that she's made publicly available online, um, but she has a really hilarious blog where she complains about the way things are pronounced in the audiobooks. So when we were reading this book, I read the paperback and Madeline listened to the audiobook. I listened to an audiobook. So we're in a unique, awkward place. So we're just going to go with the audiobook pronunciation. Um, and please let us know if you know of any official statement on how the characters in The Hero and the Crown should be pronounced. Yeah, and we can bring it to attention and we apologize if these are just straight up wrong. I don't apologize. I tried my best. <laughs> we do not apologize. <laughs> And now to the episode. <laughs> Hello. Hi. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. And this week, we are discussing The Hero in the Crown by Robin McKinley. Yes. We're back into a hardcore fantasy classic after covering a book that I don't think many of you have probably read before, at least according to the downloads for that episode. <laughs> um, but there's so much to say. Just to get, like we said, the summary out of the way, we'll quickly do our marketing breakdown for the cover and the back of the book, and then Madeline will give us a lovely summary. Here's what we think of you marketing. So this is going to be a very ditty-heavy episode. Um, our copy is the Penguin 2000 edition. It came out when I was 13, Madeline was 10. The cover has a little border motif of thorns and flowers, probably representing Circa. Um, and then a drawing of a, a colored pencil drawing, I think is the medium. I know this is very important to you. <laughs> um, of Aaron attacking Maurer, the black dragon. Um, it's a really fun image. I love the cover of this book. It's uh, awesome. Yeah, Aaron is holding uh, not yet her... Uh, not yet Gontron. We didn't go over that pronunciation. Gontron. Gontron. Not her adult sword, but her teen sword, because this is the kind of book that has a different sword for different phases of life, which is one reason why it's so awesome. It's the Kokiri sword, not the Master Sword. <laughs> I was wondering how long we'd make it Breaking without the making Zelda in. <laughs> because every one of our episodes recently is yes. <laughs> Zelda reference. Got used to it. Anyway, she is holding her sword triumphantly above her head, her, the last of her light, long red hair is streaming down her back. Um, and then we've got the proud Newberry Medal emblazoned. This is not just a Newberry Honor Book. It's it Newberry is the Medal. winner. It yeah. is the 1985. Is it no. no. This, is, <laughs> this is not a very nice copy. <laughs> but I love it. It also started falling apart a little bit while I was reading it. Like some of the pages started ripping, um, which I felt really bad about. But it's been left. It's been left. Um, Grace is just actively destroying our books now. Shredding how things. hard she loves them. <laughs> My love is unhealthy. Sucking the essence from them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about its newberryness uh, a bit later. But first, the back of the book. This is the story of Aaron Dragonkiller, a story you will never forget. 
Although she is the daughter of Damaris King, Aaron has never been accepted as full royalty. Both in and out of the royal court, people whisper the story of her mother, the witch woman, who is said to have inspelled the king into marrying her to get an heir to rule Damar, then died of despair when she found she had born a daughter instead of a son. But none of them, not even Aaron herself, can predict her destiny, for she is to be the true hero who will wield, wield the power of the blue sword. Ellipses. Splendid high fantasy filled with tender moments, good characters, satisfying action, and sparkling dialogue. Superb! School Library Journal starred review. Winner of the Newbery Medal, an ALA notable book, an ALA best book for young adults. And then underneath it says, also by Robin McKinley, The Blue Sword, a Newbery Honor book. So the noobs are just nonstop. They're just flying off of and this the cover. ALA. Yeah, you're right. I know, but it, there's three Newbery mentions, technically. Yeah. Anyway... All I'm going to say about that is, yeah, fine, fine description. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, broad strokes for sure. But this is a very involved book. A lot happens, and, and that's a good. It's got a nice promotional tie-in to the Blue Sword, which is exactly. the um, technically this is a prequel to well, the Blue Sword. It came out first. Yeah, the Blue Sword. This did. is a prequel to yeah. the Blue Sword. Uh-huh. But I always think of this as the mightier of the two books, which we can talk about that more later. Anyway, Madeline, do you want to take us away with a little sum-sum? Yeah, we're going to keep this summary short because this is such an intense story. Basically, and there's a lot of um, time jumps. Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> so as linearly as possible, I'll just say Aaron is the daughter of a king. The people of Damar, uh we get mixed messages, but apparently did not have love for her mother, um, or maybe would have if her father would have, you know, made sure that put she in more was, effort. Well, <laughs> he didn't make sure that she was put down in yeah. the record books as a mm-hmm. queen, and there was just seemed malarkeyish to me. It seemed like he did not try to fight the patriarchy. Um, he was fully complicit in it. Yeah, we can talk more about Arlbeth, but he's not exactly a striking figure. Anyways. Um, so Aaron is the daughter. The mother, her mother, died in childbirth. So she's not around. Aaron pretty much gets completely left up to our own devices throughout her childhood and young adulthood um, because she's not a traditional girl. She has a rivalry with a much more uh, traditional, uh, perfectly beautiful, really mean girl named Galena. Uh, Galana, sorry. Galuni. Galuni. Galuni is all I can think of. At the court. Um, and so Aaron gets involved. She uh, has a very close best friendship with her cousin Tor, who everyone considers to be the heir mm-hmm. because he's male. Um, and it's said often that the kingdom finds a way to keep female heirs from becoming the ruler. Uh, so throughout her time, she learns swordsmanship from tour she teaches herself to ride by um healing and befriending uh her father's used to be lame old warhorse talent um and then Aaron decides to start killing dragons which have a very different um presence in this book than any i've read in mm-hmm. books before they're basically um, they start out as kind of just evil, malignant, demon-type creatures that terrorize little villages, so the king has to send out knights to get rid small. of them. Yeah. They're um, like dog-sized. Yes, yeah. but there are tales of older ancient dragons 
uh, one of whom comes back in this book named Maurer. Uh, one of the things that Erin teaches herself to do is to create this ointment from a very old manuscript that will prevent whatever it has been rubbed on from bursting into flame. Um, so it protects she, it against fire. Yes. yes. That makes it sound like a way of saying it. They will keep things combusting. Just constantly bursting in a flame. There's nothing they can do except Kenan. So at, at one time, her father, there's trouble with the, the North throughout all of this. Underscoring in the North is known to a be. A different kingdom. Yeah, where evil things, demons come from. Um, Aaron's mother was also from the North, which mm-hmm. is a further sort of stain on her. Um, presence and reputation in her kingdom of Damar. Um, so uh, the king, her father, Arlsbeth, uh, is called away to the north to deal with an uprising. And at the same time, word comes from a village that the great black dragon Maurer has returned. So Erin leaves by herself to kill this mountain-sized dragon. She does. In the process, she is incredibly wounded really jacked up debilitated yes like her body has changed forever yes um and she manages to get herself back to the kingdom but she's basically dying so she has these dreams of a tall blonde man who uh, wants to help her so she leaves again um by herself to go find him uh and she does and from him who is an immortal she learns a lot about magic and about herself and about herself and her history. And he heals her um, basically by turning her not quite mortal herself. He also tells her about what her fate is, who the great enemy that she has to defeat is, um, whose name is Agsbeth. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Agsbeth. Mm-hmm. No, Agsdead. Okay. She learns about. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No. <laughs> A- Agsdead. So she learns from the man, Lutha, uh, that her fate is to defeat Agsted, who is her uncle, her mother's brother, and who uh, his malice kind of caused the death of her mother um, in... He poisoned her. Yeah. Oh. He direct, He killed her. Oh, he literally killed her. Okay. Yeah. Um, I missed that part. Uh well, there are there's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainties and regarding a lot of things about Eggstead. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that later. So, anyways, um, Lutha basically tells her, "Okay, you're healed now. Now you have to go kill this crazy evil sorceress guy, sorcerer guy. Um, no one can help you. I can't help you. Bye bye." Um, and so, Aaron leaves and heads to Eggstead's tower to kill him. Um, along the way, she picks up an army of giant wild cats and wild dogs who accompany her and Talit to the tower, um, which is covered in this poisonous plant called Sorka, uh, which is a whole other running plot, um, which is a plant that will kill anyone not of royal or magical blood. Um, we learn that the magical blood comes from the north in the first place, so it's really dumb of the people of the kingdom yep. to spurn Aaron and the north. They're very ignorant. They're very s- xenophobic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
So Aaron is able to use the Sorka and the Dragonstone, which she got from defeating Maur, um, which was his final blood drop. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Um, to its def- final blood drop. Yes. Drag- dragons aren't gendered. Oh, right, right. Um, and uses it to defeat Agsted, and Agsted also had the uh, magical artifact, the hero's crown. The titular crown. Which is... Um, has been lost to the the royalty of Damar. Damar, which has been lost to the royalty of Damar for generations. And now Aaron is able to get it and return with it, uh, bringing great honor to her people, which she's very excited about because basically she sees it as a way to actually become like an honored part of her family, to find a place in her family instead of just being mocked as Aaron's sole dragon killer. Um, then, but wait, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) Then when she leaves, there's so many endings. Yes, there really are. Um, she leaves the tower and Lutha is there to greet her. Um, and they finally, uh, act on their romantic tensions and spend a fortnight, um, traveling back towards his home together, um, as a couple, uh, and they discuss a lot of things, but also not a lot of things. And did you talk about what year it is at this point? Oh, well, now it's a couple years from when she left. Um, but when she gets out of the tower, it's hundreds of years after she yeah. left because it turned out she spent hundreds of years climbing and then falling from the tower. Yep. Um, and Lutha uses his magic to bring her back into the present day. Uh so then they're returning together. They part ways um, very emotionally. It was hard. Um, and Aaron returns to Damar just as the final battle that's going to destroy her family and kingdom is taking place. And she's able to get the hero's crown to Tor. Um, Arl's Beth, unfortunately, is killed in the battle. Uh, then her and Tor... After after the battle is completed and won, her and Tor go to the treasury where some idiot, we never really found out who, brought the skull. Probably Perlith. Probably Perlith, yeah. Of Maur, the black dragon, which has been poisoning the morale and spirit of the people of Damar. Ever since she left. So her and Tor, right after this huge battle, um, which they both fought really hard in, uh, roll the giant dragon head out um Aaron is basically able to destroy it um and then her and Tor are married uh at the very end of the book Tor has loved her all along and she's just kind of been like yeah whatever you're my friend um which was kind of a bummer that she had to marry him I mean they do love she loves him but it felt like much less of a romantic love than he ever had for her we'll discuss this let's more. yeah go in depth later um and no editorializing this is the yeah, summary this is the summary <laughs> um, must be pure her dogs and cats stay uh which is pretty cool the landscape has changed because of the battle um, and the final line of the book although she had promised to go back to Lutha eventually the final lo- um Lines of the book say that she, the not quite mortal part of her, slept uh, so that she could learn to love or could love her husband and her country. Yeah. Um, Great summary. Thank you. It was long, I know, but I tried to be as linear as possible. It's hard. Uh, The book makes it really difficult. 
difficult. The book jumps around a lot. A lot. I returned and reread the first chapter after I did too. We got through yep, like ten chapters of flashback because I was right. getting confused. All of a part little. one. Yeah, is, part is one is bookended by Erin um, asking her father to go on that. Um, trip to the north to mm-hmm. try to With him. figure out some kind of a treaty and massage some tensions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, ends with her going to fight Maurer instead because yes. she can't go. Mm-hmm. So Madeline and I, in a private conversation, not shared with the podcast, mentioned to each other that we think this is the book we've covered that we were the most surprised by in terms of how strong our feelings are for it yes. today. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that I didn't love and obsess over this book when I was young. Um, it, it was just a very difficult book to read as a kid. I, yeah, I read it so differently today as yeah. an adult that it almost feels like it is a different book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to reconcile my takeaway as a child with my takeaway as an adult. Yeah. First of all, as a child, I thought that the that it was like very romantic in a nice way. Yeah. I thought that she basically got two happy endings uh-huh. as opposed to now. I feel like she got two unhappy yeah, endings. Yeah, she got, she <laughs> totally, um, oof, And oops, yeah, okay. doesn't actually get her heart's desire and then also hides her true feelings from herself, yeah. not just from the people around her. I did not, uh, so I thought of the part of the book where she that she spends at the lake with Lutha as like this super relaxing, fun, comfy time. Um, and to be sure there are positive components of it, mm-hmm. but it's basically a great inhale before she has to go back into the world and do horrifying things, including spending centuries climbing and then falling. I know that that's exactly what you said in the summary, but mm-hmm. that's literally what happens. And I love how she talks about like, I, I could be a new God, the God that climbs. Yeah, she's joking to herself about the kind of God that she might be becoming in this process, but she, she is, I mean, yeah. she's an immortal who spends hundreds of years climbing stairs and then falling downstairs mm-hmm. and getting very confused afterwards because there's suddenly a jungle on the desolate plain, but mm-hmm. that's because it's so much later. Yeah. Um, Okay, so yeah, those two impressions. Then I the, also the body horror didn't resonate with me in quite the same way as a kid. Yeah, um, I was freaking out when I when I reread it and got to the end of the battle with Maurer. Yes, um, because Erin loses all her hair. One half of her face is horribly burned. Her left arm is burned beyond use. And it sounds like it basically like shrivels up. Mm -hmm. Um, She breaks her ankle uh, and then just a variety of other cuts and burns. And then she spends weeks alone lying in a stream trying to soothe the burns that are so painful that she can't sleep or think or have any chance of survival. To me, what really hit home is when she opens her mouth to scream as she's caught in dragon fire and then sustains yeah. serious internal burning yeah. um, to the point that she then cannot breathe comfortably for a significant portion of the book she can't she can't um, speak she can't laugh because she'll start hacking yep she coughs up blood and it really made me think this time too like 
the incredibleness of there being a stream nearby or she would have died because that was so important to her convalescence, just being able to lie in the stream and drink water. And having a horse like Talit. I love Talit. um, Who I think might be my favorite character. (laughs) Talit is so great. Uh, Yeah, we'll have a little... Also, Talit has the happiest story too, I think. Talit is totally reborn and becomes like the truest horse that Talit could ever have been. A magical horse. Um, Yeah, Talit's transformation is so incredible. And uh, I'll just admit this up front. I cried again and again reading this book. Um, More than maybe any other book I've ever read. It was nonstop, nonstop. Um, And most of the crying had to do with something happening Um, And just tell it being so brave in the dragon fights and Aaron, you know, realizing as they ride up to fight Maurer that Talit doesn't know what's going to happen. Talit's all excited because he thinks that it's, it's just, just going to be another mini dragon you know, fight, dog which are fun dragon and easy. Fight. Yeah. He doesn't know that it's an unspeakable evil that's been raised from some kind of hellscape to mm-hmm. purposely, yeah, distract her. Um, no, it's it's horrifying, and I'm just so happy that, that Talit makes it through, and I love Me that too. Aaron whenever she faints due to her fever or her injuries or one of the other unspeakable horrors that befall her throughout the book. She's always asking where Talit is and how Talit's doing. Um, yeah, my love for Talit is probably what bridges my childhood experience and my adulthood <laughs> Talit is great. And we've discussed this before, but neither of us are like great horse lovers. Um, uh, after my more recent experience, I have been able to appreciate the love and attachment to horses a lot more in fantasy books Um, because I hadn't ridden since I was a little kid and a horse bucked me off and then dragged me through the woods and I didn't like horses anymore after that but well I think that's how you can tell when it is just a strong horse character in and of itself and not um, the type of stereotypical fantasy novel horse yeah where they're they're true and they're strong and they stay by their master's side Um, but they actually have a real personality and tell it is Talit is like one of the most fully fleshed out characters in the book. Like he's vain and prideful, but at the same time, he has he, hopes and dreams. He'll put himself. I know he does have hopes yeah, and dreams. Yeah, he does. Sometimes the perspective shifts to Talit, which is actually part of the writing of this book that I adore. That the perspective very subtly and casually will shift mm-hmm. in the middle yeah. of a paragraph, and suddenly we'll hear like what Perlith is thinking about, or like what what's up on Talit's mind. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, maybe that would throw some people, uh, but I felt that because this is a book that, at least part one, part one is like, uh, it's all about the court. And part two is all about isolation. Very interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. I love this book. It was so much fun to read. Okay, I'm getting away from myself. So to the segment. <laughs> Back to our segment. Yes. So I think this book is wasted on children. I, is, I, mean, I don't think this is obviously a kid's I book. think kids should read it. Right. Yeah. I've never advocate keeping no, good literature yeah, of course from not. children. No, I shouldn't have said wasted on children. That's not really what I mean. But rather it there's can so be appreciated much more, so much more fully. Yeah. There's so much more it's to like, unpack. It's like how they from had a me mature read perspective. Fahrenheit four fifty one when I was eleven and I was just like And that's what why is a lot going of, on? a lot of Kids are like, oh, I hate Fahrenheit 451. I don't want to read anything else Ray Bradbury has mm-hmm. written. 
Ray Bradbury is incredible, but it's too young to really appreciate it not fully. To appreciate it, to not yeah. just be scarred by it. To be freaked like out by it, me when I was yeah. 14 in my health class, our gym teacher showed us Requiem for a Dream <laughs> as some kind of crazy anti-drug campaign. None of us are going to be into that. <laughs> I remember when you came home from that, you were... He made us take him a permission slip. We were all just like, oh, it's just for sex ed, right? Yeah. No. Anyway, what were your child impressions versus adult impressions? Oh, I also wanted to, I also wanted us both to to say what moment from the book stood out the most to us on the reread. Okay. Yeah. But you you go go first. No, no, your turn now. We'll do those together. Okay. We'll we'll say them at the same time. And if they're not the same, we're (laughs) shutting down the podcast. (laughs) That's it. Um, I agree with you. Um, This book was a lot more, I was just able to understand it a lot better this time too. Mm. I, when I read it, I was really confused by the time jumping um, and kind of frustrated because I couldn't really understand it. Hold your hand through that, through any of it. It's really confusing if you're not paying attention. And this time rather I was able to really enjoy like things getting referenced at different times. And then me being like, Oh right. That's already happened now. Or like, Oh right. That hasn't happened yet. Um, it's kind of sneaky the way it's like put in and then you get to just figure out yourself Mm -hmm. or like reorient yourself in the narrative. So I really enjoyed that. It also feels, I'm sorry to interrupt very quickly. It feels so conversational. (laughs) (laughs) Just give me a peace sign if you're comfortable with what I'm doing. (laughs) We're going off some nonverbal cues. Um, Great for podcasting. Exactly. Uh, So... I love how conversational it is at times and it can feel like it is a story that someone is telling to you, like in an oral tradition. Honestly, I enjoyed the audiobook so much because yeah, the reader is really sense. good and it it is a book that really lends itself to being told. Totally. Especially part one, going, you know, it, the narrator casually mentions, because it's in third per- person omniscient perspective, the narrator casually mentions that... Galana and Aaron have like a a history of pulling pranks on each other. Yeah. And then it's like, like the time when, yeah. and then that kicks off the entire part one mm-hmm. flashback. Yeah. Which is um, like a hundred pages. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah, it is. I checked. Um, and through that, we get to see Aaron grow in, I think a much more interesting way um, and realize that she basically just, chose a purpose so that she could have something in her mm-hmm. life yeah because she's so alone and depressed yeah I'm sorry please continue so in this I felt I uh, I think that when I read it when I was younger I liked her dad more and was just like oh he's just the king and he right. loves his daughter and yeah. everything and this time when I read it I was incredibly disappointed in him and I thought it was kind of I don't know totally unfair the way he was like I was wondering when you were going to come forth a royal presence once it has come forth cannot be hidden again I was like dude you were not trying to facilitate her coming into her own in any way shape or form you were ignoring her and he tries to act like oh well everyone in this court gets to pick what it is that they want to be and do which is untrue not correct at all completely untrue Luther had it right when he says like he is a kind of traditional (laughs) I know I loved I loved how 
sassy Luther yeah. was. Yeah, I really enjoyed that too. And just providing finally this outsider's perspective to be like, on this, this is suffocating how environment. Up yeah, this environment that she is. has spent her entire life in. Yeah. Where people are constantly just being like, oh, you're not being like the girl that we want you to be. So I guess we're just going to pretend you don't exist. Yeah, we don't like you. We didn't that, like your mom. It's worse than her, than I don't know, them working harder to try to turn her into a lady yeah. than just rejecting her. Like, yeah. she has no one other than Tor and um, Tika, her maid. It kind of reminds me of just... And the stable, um, the head of the stables, yeah. And I didn't... Horns, Barth, or whatever. <laughs> There's too many names. <laughs> I love Tika. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't think of this when I was young because I read it when I was very young, but now reading through it, it reminds me a lot of my like junior high experience yeah. just because I, you know, sometimes I was picked on, sure, but often in a way that I didn't even understand what was going on. But I did mm-hmm. always understand that I was being ignored and shut out, yeah. like that I was not like I didn't work. I didn't fit with what was going on. So I was just kind of shunned and not accepted in anything that was going on. Um and that was that was really brutal. Um, Did you notice how Robin McKinley goes out of her way to describe the way that the people in the kingdom don't see or don't notice Aaron when she's going off to do something dangerous and foolish, mm-hmm. like going to fight the small dragon for the first time? Mm-hmm. And she is commenting that like no one seemed to notice her as she wrote out on mm-hmm. Talit. Um, and I feel like in this dark way they're almost like oh good like she's just gonna go die like we don't have to think about her anymore okay I just figured that was her latent gift finally kicking in yeah I thought about that too but I think there's with how smart the rest of the book is and how much like relative yeah no you're right there There probably I I do think that's part of it like they just want to be rid of her her. Yeah. yeah um so yeah that was something new that I saw and then also now just seeing how both of the kind of love stories that she has going on, um, one with her best friend, Tor, and then the other with Lutha, um, just have difficult elements to them. Mm-hmm. Um, with Tor, it's like I started to editorialize in the summary. It's very difficult because he's always been really in love with her, but it's very difficult to tell ever if she actually had romantic feelings for him she didn't yeah i mean because i kept looking for it because again I and again that she doesn't notice that he's looking at her mm-hmm. this way and she yeah. doesn't think about him that way like she loves him as a friend yeah and i don't think she even in the end when you know the it says she had always loved him i don't think it's romantic love yeah. i think and it is family love they are cousins yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, which is, you know, a whole other thing, but this is a book set in a medieval period. Yeah, so. so that would be normal. Um, yeah. So but it's and really tough for me. I forgot. I did. I remember being really upset when I read it when I was younger that she didn't go back to Lutha. Yeah. Um, and at this time I, w- it was more like angry at the last line of the book. Like she, she forgot mm-hmm. about, you know, the part of her that wasn't mortal so that she could love her husband and her country. Like, even though her country has always been awful yeah. to her and that she's done all that. She's so selfless. Exactly. I was just really frustrated. I just want to be like, screw these people. Like just go 
find Luther and live like a happy, immortal, magical yeah. life with him now that you can. Um, well, I think this is one of the most melancholy endings of a fantasy book I've ever, I've ever read. read. I've ever yeah. read. And as a kid, I thought, oh, okay, everything's set up for a sequel. There will be, you know, she's she needs to go back to Lutha to get the um, the dragon stone. Yeah, she left it with uh, yeah. And, you know, they've got it all set up. Like, that book is going to be so good. This is the last book that was ever written about them. There's nothing else. <laughs> I actually went and looked up this, a summary of the the blue sword after yeah. this to be like, maybe something gets, she's just a legend. This. Yeah. And There's you know what? It, it is even sadder. Lutha is still alive. And she's not. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. I'm going to start crying again. <laughs> okay. <sighs> so, uh, not having actually read the blue sword, I chose and now choose to believe having only read this book, um, that she keeps Lutha in the back of her mind, you know, quote unquote, forgets him, lives her life mm-hmm. with Tor, you know, has babies or whatever, cause she's a woman. So she has to do that. Um, and then I did appreciate though, that the basically epilogue chapter didn't, didn't say include. Anything about yeah, I was waiting birth. for I was really like, scared she had so of, many babies. I was really scared of an Ella Enchanted style situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, although <laughs> the other problem is that she's not going to age at the same rate that mm-hmm. everyone else does. So, but just I mean, to figure that out. Regardless of what the ending is implying, I just decided I said, okay, so she's going to, live with Tor, and then once he dies, she'll still have quite a bit of life left, so then she's going to peace out and go find Lutha and uh, live with him for a long time. I know that that's probably not what's supposed to happen, but I had to decide that in order to not just be, like, crushed. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, um, this is, this is a very bleak book. Mm -hmm. Um, Both parts one and two, even though there is the kind of um, like perfect arc of character growth and fulfillment in that, you know, she like, like follows the traditional knight's path, basically, mm. which, we t- which we also talked about a little um, in our Tombs of Atuan episode. But it's subverted because she is a woman who is doing the opposite of what her society expects her and to do. And she has doing. to do it all like in secret, but that's not even that hard because everyone ignores her. It's not right. like there's too much subterfuge <laughs> oh. involved. It's 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 she just, never disguises it's herself. Shocking for... how yeah, um just negligent everyone is mm-hmm. in giving her any kind of fostering. Uh her um her maid, Tika you know, helps her. Tika's awesome. Tika actually goes along with who Aaron really is as opposed to trying to force her too hard into Mm -hmm. the, except for the ankle pose that she makes her wear. Oh, but I loved that because really she funny was, though. yeah. Yeah, and the reason I felt like that Aaron that doesn't she was care. was being a mom. Like, oh, oh I want to totally. dress you up because yeah, you're so Yeah, it pretty. reminded me of, hey, mom, shout out. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid and mom would make me wear a dress for a school picture day and I was um, a violent tomboy and there was actually one school picture where mom and I had like, mom, would you say it was the worst fight we've ever had? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I loved wearing dresses. I loved picture days. 
Um, Grace always looks so, so pissed in her pictures. Really, angry little girl. Really resonates with me. That picture especially. I had spent the whole morning crying. I was furious, and my hair was like half up. Half <laughs> down. It looks. I remember this picture because your face is all blotchy. I was so pissed. Yeah, but I'm sorry, mom. It all worked out in the end. I just wasn't really comfortable with stereotypical gender display. <laughs> I was really into dresses. That's fine. Things change. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm I'm still doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. It's all good. That's that's why I like books like this, where there are fantasy books, where there are female characters, protagonists, um, reminiscent of the Alana books, where it's like, you know what? I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm going to do what I want to do. It, I I saw this interesting... um, essay when I was doing research for this episode where an academic posited that books like this I think I think it was written in the late 80s early 90s like this book came out in 1984 yes um how she wasn't sure if this was actually a positive female role model because the woman was just inserted into the male narrative in oh, terms but I don't of think them. that's true. No, I totally disagree with it. Yeah. I, I I debated even bringing it up. I'll link the article article on our website um, for discussion this episode. Sake, but so I that you can take a look at it. With that. And it also it mentions Dragon Song as a more positive version of this narrative because in this article they say that young girls should also have female role models where they're not completely. They said that in here on Crown, Aaron is completely rejecting any like nurturing or caring instincts, which is total garbage because the entire book is about her choosing selflessness and choosing to care for others over caring for and herself. Look at her relationship with Talon. There is no way that there would be a book like this about a boy no. who becomes a dragon slayer, goes off, meets a hot lady because. Like, Lutha is a hot dude who's living in the mountains. Like a magical, wise hot dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Meets that lady, spends months with her, defeats the great evil, then goes back to his kingdom and not only, you know, defeats the final evil, Mm -hmm. which the knight would do, but then stays to marry the, like... second fiddle royal position. To marry the unappealing woman who he should marry yeah um to sorry i'm going so deep in the hypothetical no, that i'm getting all confused with pronouns but it's there's getting, no way that that true. story would exist no like she's if it were a male protagonist he would have brought female lutha back with him and then been yeah. like this is my queen right exactly <laughs> exactly that's exactly what he would do and yeah. then and the woman lutha would be like oh i'll go with you yes. like you're the boss yes. i'll come rule your kingdom no with you. i i actually think that this is a fantastic portrayal of the female experience because Erin yeah. gets so shafted yeah. while doing things for other people, her mm-hmm. entire story. Yeah. It's all she does. Even though the dragon killing is a purpose that she chooses for herself, mm-hmm. she it's ultimately serving the greater good. And also no, exactly. dragon and killing it, is not like, an honorable thing. It's no. kind of like a you know, a necessary it's like a task. garbage man duty, like yeah. something that's essential to society mm-hmm. and to keeping people safe and healthy. Um, but nobody wants to do it. And they say that again and again throughout the book. Like yeah. it's really hammered home. And like they make fun of her by calling her dragon yeah, slayer. Per- that's Perlith's cutting insult yeah. that, you know, helps kick off the whole flashback for Perlith. part one. I hate Perlith. So glad he dies. Um, yeah, we need to talk about Perlith and Kalana. Uh, Galuni. Well, Galuni. Okay, so we're 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 going into our like fem- feminism portion of the discussion. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, what I wanted to say about 
this book's portrayal of women, I do think it is like a deeply female story, as you said. Um, I don't think that Aaron's gender is dismissed or that she's just thrown into a male role. I totally the opposite. Everything you said is exactly how I feel. Um, I do. I did have a problem actually with some of the other female characters in the book. I think Galana is um, poorly written. Yeah, and she's um, just straight up evil. She's, she's like, just an evil woman she's stereotype. The stereotypical, like shrewish, um, extremely haughty, vain, gorgeous, vain, uh, empty headed nightmare. Um, and I was really disappointed by her. And she has no like character tropes that are positive in and any wasn't way. And was it weird that at the end, after Perlith dies, this dude who she was shown to not care about really at all, she only cared about his station. Yeah. Um, then she's suddenly really sad and she like goes gray. Yeah, I did think I mean, I that guess made sense with how she had been characterized. Could, yeah. Because it's simple. Yeah, it's, yeah. Because basically, like, he was her reason for, you know, a lot of things. And then suddenly he died, and she was just kind of left, like, yeah. shocked and used up. Yeah, I guess. So, my. And I don't want to be too critical because I really love this book. And, and because Aaron was, is such a fantastic female character. Aaron is such an incredible character and protagonist, in my opinion. But yeah. My fear is that it's that sort of situation where it's like, I'm a cool girl. I'm not like the other girls. Mm, and then mm-hmm. all the other women are just not interesting. Well, but there's Tika, who's awesome. And Tika is really awesome. But then other than... Um, the dog queen. Honestly, I, I don't think we can talk about animals as, <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I agree with you. She does show up a lot. <laughs> I know. I, I I can't remember the names of those species of cats and dogs. animals. Yeah. Other than Tika, Aaron, and then Aaron's mom, who is actually not in the book. And also um, was kind of a and not great person, it sounds like. But beyond that, we don't ever actually learn what it is that motivated her really well she was just trying to kill her uncle or come up with a way or brother or come up with a way that she could destroy him and she was just a really weak that's the thing yeah and Lutha tells her physically at the end of that chapter you know you are very much like but you are to be preferred yeah um and i do think that aaron's like the new and improved version of her mom she's a lot stronger but uh yeah i don't know i just it also irritated me that the people of Damar never had any kind of, um, I don't know. They didn't like get their comeuppance for being like, all witches are evil. And like any woman who doesn't fit into the mold must be spelling men to love them and tricking them so that they can dig over the kingdom. Um, and then in the end they gradually are just like, Oh, Aaron's amazing. Oops. They're like, yeah, she's, we accept her. Well, yeah, some of them, some of them grow to appreciate mm-hmm. her, even though she had been doing these things for years, like going into town and going to the stores to buy ingredients for Kennet. Mm-hmm. Like they had more FaceTime with her than they probably did with any of the other royals, yeah. but they continued to be horrible people. And, you know, that's that's not even I'm, I'm getting away from the feminism discussion now, um, but I just uh, I it would have been so cool if Galana, if we had even just like one human moment with her. Something it's that like, showed that, like, here's the reason why she is the way she is. She's not just a vacuous monster. This is a real, if 
this may be a, a tenuous, difficult to follow connection, but I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. In Emperor Mage by Tamara Pierce. Episode three, six, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> check our yeah, check check our Emperor Mage episode. It's it's in the first ten for sure. Um there's a like kind of vain, just selfish court lady that Dane's love interest mm-hmm. falls. He has been with her. Um, and this happens in um, Alana, the first adventure too with John, the hot lady. Oh yeah. Okay. But anyways, um, Tamara, what are you doing to us? But there's a scene where Dane finds her and probably would have killed her. But the woman basically just says, like, look, I like nice things. I like homemaking. I know that yes. like, I use my magic powers for what you might see as frivolous. Mm-hmm. But I'm really sad that it seems like, you know, the guy that we were both in love with essentially is dead. Um, and there's sort of like this humanizing moment instead of just having her as like this, ah, she's the enemy, this like yeah. lame, pretty lady, you yeah, know, exactly. Just important. Just because there are of that with Galana would be so welcome because many women are very into more traditionally feminine things and that's okay. It's not mm. anything against them. Like it's just part of who they are. Like women are allowed to feminize themselves and still be strong. Exactly. And I think that's part of what that article I mentioned was trying to get at Mm. in saying that there should be fantasy role models for young girls that incorporate different aspects of womanhood or who a woman could be. Um, And I get that. But uh, I I think that this book does that in spades and Mm -hmm. it is the thesis of the book. So. okay. Oh, go ahead. A while back, you wanted to each bring up one thing that struck us most on this rereading. Yeah. Um, God, I'm trying to remember what I even wanted to say. Oh, okay, yeah. So let's take a trip into Grace's insomnia, which we've been doing a lot in recent episodes. Going down um, the rabbit hole. I haven't been able to sleep pretty much my whole life. I mean, I have slept. <laughs> Okay, I mean, I've had a problem sleeping my Grace whole life. Grace is merely a faded out I'm a ghost of a point. person. She's fairly frightening to be around in person. I manage. I have a potion that I developed that keeps me from dying. Anyway, I have always had a problem sleeping. And one way that I've combated this since I was really young, as long as I can remember, is that I would create these little... Um, like physical dream worlds, not physical. They're physical in my mind, but I think I plan out Fleshed every out detail. In a way. Yeah, so that it Just feels like it's a space I can occupy. I do that too, but I only visit them very briefly before I fall asleep. Yeah, I have like whole epics that I've... Okay. Yeah, I'm sure that yours are much more detailed. <laughs> out in them. But one of my favorite spaces for a period of time when I was younger was the lake, the, you know, gray mansion on the lake. Okay. Um and exploring around that area and something about the w- smoothness of the water and the way the rocks and the water blend together. Everything's like very monochromatic, but it feels very peaceful and it's mm. so removed from the stresses. That's probably why I was so into because it's like her escape place okay. um, where she just goes to heal and learn and grow. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I was I was young when I thought of this, so like Lutha wasn't there because I wasn't interested in him, mm-hmm. but not that I am now. <laughs> now he's there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, I forgot about that place as being one of my dream places mm-hmm. um, until I reread the book. So that was a huge moment for me when she gets back to the lake. I think I thought about it during the first dream she has seeing Lutha, and I was like... Oh, oh, whoa. <laughs> it was one cool. of those moments where you're like in a little, you know, cartoon where like stars are going like around flashback your head from Breath and, of yeah, the your Wild. eyes are twirling. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that that would be it, even though that's not a super interesting answer. It's only interesting to me, <laughs> not to anyone else. Mine is that I also kind of had a, a remembrance where when I was little, our imaginary friends were always animals instead of people. Um, and I had like screw people. I had droves of tigers and panthers and other large cats. I probably had Grace had dragons, dragons, and then also a kangaroo. Do you remember that? Vaguely, yeah. very vaguely. Um, but and I remembered reading this book that this was definitely one of my sources of inspiration for having a lot of like big cats mm, and like yeah. wolf imaginary friends because she totally. just has these packs of awesome animals yeah. that she can basically communicate with and understand yeah, that like really cool. protect her and are with her. So that was a cool thing to sort of remember. Wow, so formative. Mm-hmm. And we have not thought about this book very much yeah. in the years since we were no, young. No, really not. This is why projects like this are so cool. We read this book, you people, if you haven't it. already, yeah. Okay, so now that you've made it through that freewheeling sociological discussion. I thought it was we'll great. We'll give you what you guys probably came here for, which is a discussion, discussion of the fantasy elements in this book. So, this is regarded widely as a fantasy classic. Um... I think something I also noticed when I was doing research is that there are a lot of recent articles like from the last few years written by adults who decided to reread this for various Mm -hmm. reasons. Um, And I think, uh, you know, I I, uh, didn't read them because I don't want to get my head full of other people's opinions before we discuss. But I have a feeling that they're similar to ours. Just like, what the heck? Why isn't everyone reading this every year for their entire lives? Um, But... Here's why I think it is a fantasy classic. First of all, we've discussed the traditional knight's... uh, What's the term? Trajectory. Knight's trajectory that Aaron follows. Um, But it's made much more interesting because it's a woman going through it, and she chooses it for herself. She goes against her obligations, which are, like we've said, really nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, But she, she chooses a path for herself, and then she stays true to it. She rides out alone to fight a a mythical level evil beast like and like Lutha says like she had no magic or anything at that point she right just basically exactly. went out with human courage and killed this gargantuan monster and that is pretty darn interesting it's also rare to have stories as we've said of girls doing this kind of thing so I think that's all very important I think the magic system within the book is interesting. Um, there's a few different sources and kinds of magic. Um, so there is the gift which people with a specific royal blood should have. 
Mm-hmm. The gift is from royal blood. It shows up at different ages. It shows up later in life, depending on how strong it is, which is another reason why Lutha is just disgusted with the Damarians because they've forgotten that. And that's why Aaron's gift didn't show up more noticeably. It's That's also an element of um, other people in the court kind of othering her throughout her life, trying to make her feel bad about the fact she doesn't have a gift or Mm -hmm. the taunt that Galana um, uses against her where she bets her that she won't eat a circa leaf um, because those leaves can only be, I think, like chewed for a moment to create the hallucinogenic effects for royals. Anyone else, it just destroys them. them. Yeah. Um, And she doesn't die, but she has... She gets an entire branch. She has months of uh, visions um, and being physically unable to move uh, because she's so trapped in this mental nightmare scape. Doesn't sound great. She loses complete bodily autonomy. She can't see very well. Um, This is what leads her to start bringing... Talad back to his glory. She with him because they're both kind of broken. So yeah, the gift was interesting. Then there's also the um, uh, unexplained mysterious magic that leads to something like Aaron being dunked in a lake, I think as Lutha puts it, mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a little moment of aside to himself and he's like, what are you doing? You're freaking yeah. out. This child shows up and you throw her in a lake. <laughs> Um, and while she's in the lake, she has a sort of spiritual reckoning with Agstead, um, who is, who, and she becomes her mother and he's trying it. She relives him asking her to drink poison, which is how he killed her. You remember later they say that she only had the strength left to bear a child. Yeah. I think she, it was right before she uh, road south and met okay. Elspeth that yeah. that happened. It's all a little unclear. Yeah, it's all um, foggy. Anyway, that moment in the lake was really interesting and Lutha is the one who calls her back and pulls her out of it, but so going through that gives her back her ability to breathe and to use her lungs normally. So to me, that just seems like a much older, deeper, ancient magic. Yeah, God um, God magic type stuff because Lutha is an immortal. Yeah, Ags- and they say... Is Ags dead? No. I have no idea. No. Yeah. Well, he says too, like, I'm not quite mortal. He says mortal he's not quite mortal either. Probably anyway, I love that phrase, not quite mortal. That's another part of the magic practices that I enjoy. But I think that his probably comes from evil sources. Like mm-hmm. he probably did something really bad to get that way. He's versus... like a Rogier. 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 So many. <laughs> <problems>. Awful <laughs> is a realization. Just someone please give us an amazing encyclopedia that will put us out of our misery. Maybe we should, maybe make, we should make that. Yeah, maybe that's our calling. Ooh, a Dragon Babies book. That's just a pronunciation guide to fantasy classics. Yep. That sounds lucrative. I know. Oh, hey, I'm great at money-making schemes. That's why we have this podcast. (laughs) Okay, Um, and then I love, this is so cool, and it's different from anything I've seen outside of, like, traditional folklore type stuff. The moment when Aaron climbs for hundreds of years and then falls for yeah. hundreds of years mm-hmm. after her she passes out of time yeah. and like that is such a great effect it's and really cool. i think that it really helps set this book apart um it just kind of exists in its own 
because I was going to say like, oh, well, the mythology feels a little Tolkienian, but then that like time bending thing, it's not Tolkienian at all. Mm. It's just its own. And I think like all the different elements of the story combined to just become this totally different thing. You can tell that Robin McKinley was inspired by Tolkien, Mm -hmm. but she she did a different thing. Her own world. Yeah, she did. I actually like, you know, I have a quote. I mentioned Robin McKinley's blog earlier, which, um, yeah, her blog is just robinmckinleysblog.com. <laughs> There's so much great stuff on there. Um, she has a passage where she talks about writing and her views on her own writing. Um, and she says, well, I'm a big fan of style. Um, and nothing throws me out of a story faster than sheer awful writing. As soon as the style starts calling attention to itself, the story loses me. Beautiful writing only remains beautiful so long as it doesn't demand the reader stop and say, wow, what an amazing paragraph, (laughs) slash scene, slash chapter. In hindsight, I may want to reread something because it is ravishingly written, but when I'm reading a story, I want the story, and I don't want anything in the way. My idea of real style is when the story grows up all around you, and you see and hear and smell it, And you're no longer sitting in a chair or lying in a hot bath with a book in your hands. Her (laughs) blog talks a lot about reading in the bath. (laughs) She loves reading in the bath. Um, And I think that's very telling uh, when it comes to just breaking down her own writing style. Um, She's incredibly talented um, and her writing is gorgeous, but it's never overly showy. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Um, And something like... like extra flourishes or whatever. Well, yeah, and I think that allows for, like, a few different types of magic to be present and for her to do these kind of time jumps mm-hmm. um, and still, as we said earlier, have it feel like an organic story that's just unfolding Cohesive. before you. It's yeah. not um, tortured and carefully manipulated. It flows really, really well, even when we're suddenly hundreds of years ahead and then we're in a flashback and then they're in the present day. And mm-hmm. it's incredible. Yeah. I can't believe that this book is is what it is. I can't believe it exists. It's really it's, quite wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Okay, so I think those are all the elements of magic. Is there anything I missed? Madeline <laughs> mm. <laughs> just did the weirdest like head bob and she moves side to side her chair. It's why I think I think like a character in a video game whose entire body sways from side to side as they <laughs> I was just going to say that, and then there's the dragons who are That's like a, a type of demon. Next, yeah. Then, yeah, so we can go to the treatment of dragons in this. Yeah, dragon talk. There are so many dragons in this book. But not they're skipping not, dragons for all, but they're not the dragons. You don't want to be friends with these dragons. Said, and you have to no. kill the dragon babies. <laughs> you have to kill the dragon babies. <laughs> I know, I really want to like tweet out that paragraph where it's like the dragon babies were small and it was a grim and thankless There was no joy in killing something so small. (laughs) Oh my god. I know our first explicit mention of dragon babies in a long time and it is horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Loved that passage. Um, But yeah, so this is an interesting turn from other books from this period, like the 80s, late half the 80s and early 90s, where dragons are friends and they're tools and they're guides and they're wise. Yeah, there is um, no ambiguity ambiguity about their alignment in this book. They are chaotic evil. They are just yeah. bad. They're the baddest of the bad. And the small dragons aren't particularly intelligent yeah. even. Mm-hmm. Um, Maurer has a lot more going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but is still, um, but isn't at like smog levels or anything like that. No. Um, but, but has some agency and yeah, some, some thought. It's not just like kill, kill, kill. And evil magic so powerful that it exists as an extremely powerful curse long mm-hmm. after its death. But I thought that the dragon fight scenes were really well written. Yeah, me too. Um, I enjoyed them more than I often do. Um, some, you know, similar, not, not full on battles, but like taking down a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that they were terrifying. Yeah. And you really feel Aaron's fear. Um, but also appreciate how uh, relatively prepared she is and mm-hmm. like her faith in her Kenneth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, her falling through that band of Maurer's fire when it destroys her body is, oh, I was oh, really upsetting. Sad and uncomfortable, <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> Dragons. Sad I was, and I was out finishing reading the book. Um, like I went out to lunch and I was going to go to a brewery and get a beer and sit and read. But I decided to come home and I was so happy I did because I was alternating between gasping and sobbing and like crying out. <laughs> Girl alone at a brewery, weeping over a fantasy over book. The hero in the crown. <laughs> yeah. That's the best part when someone sees me reading in public and I'm, I can't help but react facially when things happen. So they see me and they're like, oh God, what is she doing? And they look at the other side and they're like, Mm. <laughs> looks like a book about magic for children <laughs> whatever it's fine okay so interesting dragon portrayal and you yeah. know i'm not mad at it like i no. prefer dragons to be best friends because that's yeah. what i want but especially life. because there were a lot of animal companions including mm-hmm. one of the main characters in this yeah. book um yeah it didn't feel like and I, well, I I liked what forces to be reckoned with the dragons were too. Mm-hmm. Even the dog-sized yeah. dragons, just one of them, everyone was terrified of and yeah. would insist on sending I kind out of, like a group of knights to take care of. I kind of thought of it as because I was trying to think like, okay, what kind of how do I assess this in terms of like threat level? And I kind of decided like this would be like a big cat, like a the, one of the mm. biggest cats in uh, our world, like a tiger that had a spiked tail and uh, could breathe fire, you know, and was very ornery and sought out to kill humans rather than just trying to yeah. mind its own business. Yeah. Although tigers are a threat in the places where... <laughs> Madeline, tiger, this tiger is bats. not your tiger talk podcast. <laughs> tiger, 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 tigers. Okay. Um, but, and that is like a truly terrifying thing to yeah. face. Yeah, no, that's true. And in terms of it being a fantasy classic, it's also just a, an American children's literary classic. Newbery Award Medal winner. I'll say it again. Um, and something really interesting is if you look up on Wikipedia, a book that has a Newbery Medal, at the bottom of the page, it shows you the book that preceded and the book that followed it. Oh, and cool. I realized that four years in a row, it was four of my favorite kids' books that were all awarded the Newbery oh, Medals. Nice. Um 84, Dear Mr. Henshaw by Beverly Cleary. Um, 85, The Hero and the Crown. 86, Sarah Plain and Tall, which oh, I love. I remember that, yeah. Um, and which is like another book about a woman sacrificing everything that she loves to care for people, but whatever. Um, and then 87, Year of My Birth, The Whipping Boy, which is a horrifying oh. book that I loved. It, it was like... 
just so dark and gruesome. Wow, and it's been a really long time since I read that. Yeah. So I, I was really pleasantly surprised by that. I okay. was like, oh, yeah. yeah, like these, no wonder that I love these books so much. They're all really popular and well-regarded right around the time that I came into existence. Yeah. Not to make this all about me. Badass lady meter. We already discussed the feminism in the book in full, but mm-hmm. we can pick our baddest lady and give her a rating. Mine is Erin. I think she's the badassest of the ladyists. And my rating for her is asleep, so warm and comfortable because you're being spooned on one side by the queen of the dogs and on the other side by the king of the cats. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Mine is also Erin. Um, and I rate her the pleasantly warm feeling that comes from fire when you're coated in Kedit. <laughs> Great. I love that we both gave her feelings of warmth. Yeah. It's nice. She needs that. She needs it. Erin yeah. just needs like a hug and she gets hugs at different points of the book, but she needs more. She yeah. needs more hugs. Okay. There was one other thing to discuss. Dragons, fantasy. <gasps> oh my God. How did I ever get it? I was just watching her face waiting for <laughs> the revelation. <laughs> okay, I'm going to leave all this in. Pretend food. Pretend food. Pretend food. I'm excited to talk about this because this book has very pretend food in that the words for it are all made up. Yep. <laughs> it is a world that we have no hope of accessing. I couldn't, I really am curious about what on earth Malik is. Well, I found on the aforementioned blog, nice. um, this episode is officially just about Robin McKinley's blog. Now. <laughs> <laughs> shout out after shout out. Um, cause people have asked her quite a few times about different, yeah. um, different foods or a in Mick her bar. Books. Um, and I'm just going to read one more quick excerpt from her blog. <laughs> it was really fast. Okay. My editor and agent both. Oh, wait. No, okay. <laughs> okay. So she's imitating someone, um, talking to her, uh, Yo, dumb face, you gonna give us some of these recipes or what? My editor and agent, both themselves serious cooks and bakers, attempted to discuss with me the possibility of publishing some of the recipes in the back of the book, but I didn't get too far with me screaming, no, 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 this is not a cozy book. I do not want to be reviewed in the domestic section of Yummy Mummy's Monthly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. It makes me really happy. And I'm sure that part of her frustration there is like, well, it's about a girl, so cooking. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I love Yummy Mommy's Month. <laughs> yeah, that's... Oh, God, she's okay. Rad. So at a few different... Um, I found one Q&A where she described Mick bars, which are the bars that horses and humans seem to love equally. I mean, I guess horses and humans like vegetables and... And like some of the... Yeah. Well, it stuff. is oat based um she says they're a chewy crunchy brown sugar fruit nut and the demerian version of oatmeal cookie bar oh <laughs> it sounds really good or doesn't it yeah um and then malak malik malik the audiobook said malik, yeah, the audiobook yeah. said malik this is the drink that everyone's always having and <laughs> it's their sometimes coffee they have basically. like four cups in the morning or whatever so that's why i was like is I know, what is it? not healthy. Yeah, she has a few different um, places on the internet where uh, Robin McKinley has talked about it. Um, 
In one, she said, I'm someone who eats and drinks and dreams, so I think I know how it tastes. Intense caffeine bitterness, but good malak, malak blooms like wine. A little like oh, coffee, that's funny because tea, I... and also unsweet chocolate with almost bitter citrus taste. It sounds really good. That sounds like a drink I would be obsessed with. And we then need to she get says, some McBars and some Malik. Um, Mick and Malik. Yeah, later on, she also just said it has deep, dark, bitter, good, bitter quality. And like tea and coffee both do in their different ways. And you can make it strong or less strong with milk and sugar or honey or spices. Um, and she says, I, of course, prefer terrifyingly strong. Um, so those both sound so good. This is the uh, this is our other Dragon Babies uh, book we're gonna make just a recipe book where we um, come up with our own versions of uh, these. It's gonna take some interesting copyright work. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Whatever, I don't care. It's gonna, it's gonna be it. tied up in suits for twenty years. Damn but after law. that, it will be available. <laughs> no, Madeline's Law Corner is not happening. Oh, what are you doing? Oh, you dropped. I thought I scared Madeline because her hand like shot down, but she just dropped her chapstick. Um, Anyway, those will sound so good. I was happy with the treatment of food in this book for the most part. Um, It's nourishing. When Erin loses her sense of taste and she's not hungry anymore, she's sad. And I'm sad, too. It's it's a dark part of the book. And she's so excited when she's hungry once she's with um, Lutha. Mm -hmm. It's been months. Yeah, and he's a really good cook. I know. And they mentioned that a few times. And she, like, jokes about how she's only (laughs) hanging out with him because he's such a good cook. But then she says, no, never mind. Like, you can can paint your bald head silver. Because that's her joke about how, like, no matter what he looked like, she would still love him. Uh Ah! (laughs) (sighs) Love the two of them. Yeah, we we didn't really discuss the romances explicitly, but like, who would ship Tor and Baron? Tor I is. I actually so don't. I don't even know if I can talk about her and Luther more because I'll get too upset. Okay, yeah, we're we're I not going to talk yeah. about the realism of the romances this episode. <laughs> Suffice it to say, I. I, I did really like the way that Lutha and Aaron's romance was handled. Yes. And that's how you write about people falling in love with each other. Like slowly over a long period, they come to know each other. They mm-hmm. learn from one another. They, they grow friends. together. Yeah. But not friends in the way that she has with Tor, where it's like, oh, well, we've been friends since birth. And then or a close relative that I was raised just, with. <laughs> we should just get married. Even the way he asks her, she's in the it's middle really of talking about someone who's like, we should so get married, lame. and she's just like, oh, yeah, okay. I feel myself <laughs> being pushed towards this inevitable choice. Ugh, okay. I don't want to end this on too dark. <laughs> no. Let's go back to Malik and McBars. We're um, going to try and make them, and then we'll post pictures of them. Yeah, I should really, too. I really want to try to make Malik. Um, I'm just going to put some wine and some chocolate and some <laughs> coffee. Shake it up. Shake it up. There are recipes for chocolate wine, um, for like hot chocolate wine. I thought about trying <laughs> to make it once for uh, a party, um, and it just freaked me out too much. I didn't. I feel like mom tried to give me like a bottle of chocolate wine or something once that someone had given her, and I was like, I don't want anything to. Do I think that. this, yeah, that sounds like wine that's been. Yeah, it was um, like the color of mud with chocolate. But yeah. this is something where you like combine heavy dark chocolate right, with right. wine. So it would be more like a mold yeah. wine type thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll we'll make a perfect version. Uh, I mean, look at how well people have done trying to recreate butterbeer, right? This won't be hard. <laughs> Sarcasm. Okay. Ma- Madeline's <laughs> not following. I just, yeah, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> 
why are you so disgusted with me? Butterbeer has always sounded disgusting to me. Like, I've never wanted to drink it. I love butterscotch, but something that's so, like, buttery and butterscotchy and that, like, it just sounds so sweet and heavy and, like, like drinking a melted milkshake. I picture it differently. Yeah, I just never wanted any part of it. Stop trying to make it people. (laughs) Stop doing things to show that you love the works that you love, even though that's exactly what this podcast is. We don't like it. Only we can do it. Well, I think we've at least hit the point where we need to stop talking. There's actually more (laughs) that I think we should talk about. But, you know, maybe we'll cover the blue sword in the future and we can kind of circle it on back yeah tie up some loose ends and explore Aaron and Lutha a little bit further Um, Robin McKinley if you're listening somehow please write a sequel to The Hero and the Crown Um, in an alternate timeline if need be where Aaron and (laughs) Lutha just get to be together yeah exactly I'll read 300 pages of them just hanging out at the lake honestly (laughs) like trading quips yeah I'm here for that that's what I want how I could come to I actually yeah I just Anyway, and we love this book. So thank you so much for listening. Um, As always, we are online all over the place on the web at dragonbabiespodcast.com, Twitter at dragonbabiespod, Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast. We put up fun pictures of the books we cover and us like eating and reading. On the web. You know, with a cat and reading and all kinds of stuff like that. So check it out. Look us up. Um, and we'd love to hear from you on what you think about the podcast. You could help choose the next book that we cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we've been saying this for a while, and then we gave the shout out to Dan Lissop, so we're like, we're going to cover the Enchanted Castle, and we haven't done it yet, but we are going to <laughs> soon, I promise. Before 2017 is out, we will. Dan. Okay. <laughs> so please leave us a review on iTunes or email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think. Got anything to add, baby? Thank you for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Bye.